Welcome to the Real Estate Trainer Podcast with your host, Brian Eisenhower. This podcast is brought to you by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. ICC provides customized and structured coaching and training programs for real estate agents and team leaders, representing many of the top producing agents in North America. ICC also offers broker and owner consulting on agents recruiting, training, and retention. For more info, visit EisenhowerCoaching.com or find us on Facebook. How is your physiology? If they're leaning back, you lean back. If they're forward, I'm forward because I want to appear just as engaged and just as interested as they are. If they're very interested, I don't want to appear like I could care less and I'm way back here and I'm trying to disengage. Does that make sense? The conversation I want to focus on is negotiating and the concept of mirroring, often referred to as mirroring and matching. And I want to do a deep dive on this. Um, And this is one of the most useful sales and negotiation skill sets. I think everybody's had some exposure to it, but I know everybody can get better at the art and it truly is an art. As we've talked about in negotiating, you know, oftentimes you're negotiating with someone who's not your opponent. You're actually, I mean, if you've ever tried to get your kid to wear a jacket to school, you negotiate with your kid. <laughs> I and mean, that's someone you really care about. I don't think your kid is necessarily someone you consider your opponent. Or you're negotiating with a spouse or a loved one. Or you're negotiating with your client, trying to get them to list their home for sale at a reasonable price. Or negotiating with a buyer, trying to get them to let certain items on a home inspection report go so they can finally get their house and not miss out on one. So you're negotiating not just with the other agent or another party, you're oftentimes negotiating with people you're on the same side with to get them to see your point of view. So the conversation almost becomes persuasive where you're trying to persuade them to see your perspective. Look at it from your context. So when we do that, when you go into a negotiation this way, understand your goal when you go into a negotiation is try to go into it almost blindly where you're observing the other party from as neutral as a standpoint as humanly possible because you need to see what motivates them, what their perspective is, what their context is, as opposed to what your preconceived notions or motivations or belief as to what their perspective is. So you have to really seek first to understand. You have to like really try to go into this with an open mind, right? A bad negotiator actually tries to see a solution or a problem through their own colored lens. You know what I mean? Like, and and so they put their spin on it. Here's how I would feel. When someone else can be looking at it from a totally different perspective, right? Those preconceived assumptions are absolute killers in negotiations. They are absolute killers. I mean, they 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 sink a a solution. They sink any chances at reaching a, a amicable solution right from the start. I see it all the time. People go in with a mission. They've got you know they've got their perspective. They bought into their own arguments way too hard, and they're tying it on logic because I'm logical and I'm seeing everything logically, and they have no idea the perspective of the other person. That's why 
it's very important when we get into this conversation and we do a needs analysis like we've discussed, where we're asking questions, trying to uncover the truth, we're practicing active listening, not selective listening. We're not just waiting to hear certain things that are in alignment with our solution that we've preconceived before even having the conversation. We're actually actively listening to help understand their point of view, the context that they're viewing it from, right? So you actually lift it, listen to the opponent and we do not make your own argument or your own perspective the priority here. So we really step into the shoes of the opponent that we're negotiating against and making them the priority so we can actually learn their perspective. Does that make sense? So when we do that, when we move through a needs analysis and we're trying to learn about them and ultimately getting into the prescription where we're actually trying to diagnose a solution for them so they'll hit their goals and they'll meet their needs, we're doing it in a way that satisfies their needs from their perspective, okay? And if they see that we're actively listening to them, they'll continue to be vulnerable and then they'll tell you more information about their perspective. But if they pick up on the sense that you're just trying to get information to make your argument stronger, they won't feel safe. They won't feel safe. They'll get guarded and they won't let you in. And you'll have a tough time getting into their future pain and future pleasure goals with where you need to take them next. So generally speaking, if everything else is equal, when you are getting into that curiosity mode and you're trying to uncover what they need through a needs analysis, generally speaking, slow it down. Because if you slow it down, you create more gaps in between your words. And generally speaking, people are uncomfortable with little gaps of silence like that. They'll want to fill those gaps with words, which means they'll start talking. And if they start talking, that's good. We want them talking a lot more than you are in this conversation, because that means they're telling you about their needs, which gives you time to listen and concoct solutions and ways out that are mutually beneficial to both of you, which is what a good negotiation hopes to achieve. So generally speaking, slow your tempo when negotiating so that you're slower than the other person so that they will talk more than you. They will feel comfortable that they don't have to fight to get a word in edgewise, that there's plenty of room for them to jump in and rejoin the conversation over and over again. Okay. It also shows them that you're listening more, which tells them you care more and it makes you more genuine, which makes you safer and makes them more vulnerable to share their details and their real fears with you. Make sense? And if you don't, like if you go too quick, you'll actually miss out on a lot of different verbal and nonverbal cues that are often warnings that you're going down a path that's not good right? Like for example, if you start getting too excited, 
because you're on a roll and you know you're making a really good point and you start talking with your hands too much and and you and you start talking really fast like this and your voice starts picking up a little bit that you know that does happen when someone gets on a roll and they get in the zone verbally but if i'm talking to a person that's a little bit more reserved than me you might see their eyes get bigger and bigger as i'm getting excited i'm getting all worked up and they're like that's a nonverbal clue that I need to slow down. They're actually getting repulsed. They're moving back. Their eyes are getting big. All of those things. You'll see people cross their arms when you say something a little bit dicey. Those are all nonverbal clues. Don't go down that path anymore. You're actually breaking rapport with them. For you to be on the same page, you have to try to build rapport so that you fuse. You get on the same wavelength. And to do that, you need to try to similarize yourself with them. And we want to communicate with them in a way that they enjoy communicating. So, but that's the idea, right? Is we're, we're trying to, if we go slow, I can actually see those nonverbal cues, right? So we are going to try to mirror whoever's across from us. But it's always good just to go a little slower than them and try to speak a little bit less than them so we can actively listen a little bit more to learn more about them, okay? So really important that we understand that concept, right? So I do wanna say when you are negotiating, there is a certain thing that you guys will all probably have noticed before. It seems like anytime you have a client, and I'm gonna get gender basis here, it just seems like the male always thinks they're the best negotiator in the world. Have you guys noticed that? Every time the husband is always like, oh, you know, I got this. I know, like, I, I'll take over the negotiations. Everyone, every human, like, it's like the, it's like the silverbacks role to be the great negotiator, right? And what's funny is they absolutely have no training or skill set negotiating whatsoever. So when they don't have that, what do they do? They become authoritative. They think the best negotiator is the hardliner, the authoritative one. Here's how it's going to be. I'm going to take control. I'm only going to give you $250,000. Take it or leave it. That's what the average male of the family thinks is good negotiations. Quite frankly, that's horrible negotiating. That's amateur hour. Have you ever heard an FBI negotiator start off that way? No, because... The other person would be shot by now. <laughs> that's not, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's negotiating when the other side has no power. If the other side has any power at all, they're not gonna like you. So believe it or not, that will often come out as rude and demeaning if you get super authoritative and try to steamroll somebody. They may be very nice and submissive to you while they're in front of you, but the minute you're behind closed doors, they're not gonna accept your offer. You know what I mean? They're, they're done with you. They don't want to deal with you anymore. You got to make them want to continue to have discussions with you. And that's the only way that's going to work. Okay. People will be more attractive to warmth and comfort, some sort of positivity. Okay. So when you negotiate, try to remain positive. Always every, every word that comes out of your mouth, Every reaction to their statement has got to try to be positive and that will keep the dialogue going, okay? Oftentimes, when we have these conversations, 
it's it's going to test us because you're, we're not going to agree with what the other side says. So in those types of scenarios, we can treat those conversations negatively, and that's very genuine. But at the same time, it might have an adverse effect. So what we need to try to do is actually look at everything as, as we're just happy they're talking. We're, we're feeling positive about the fact that they're contributing, that they're giving us their point of view. So we're always rewarding them for everything that comes out of their mouth. Because they're, the more they talk, the better we're going to be. Okay? If nothing else, it's for two reasons. Number one, remember we let the marlin run. If you get a big marlin fish on the hook, you don't want to reel it in right away. You want to let them run so that fish tires out. So they use all their arguments, use all their strength, use all their speed. Then that marlin will allow you to reel them in. If they're arguing, they want to get all their points out, let them go. Let, let the marlin run, let, let them tire out, let them say all their points and they can't use them anymore. Pretty soon the gun's out of bullets. So let them go. If they hold them back, you're gonna hear them sooner or later. So let them go. Be positive, thank them for getting it all out. So that's the idea. So it takes patience and a significant amount of patience as well. So with that said, that's the idea. Okay, so let's talk about the concept of mirror matching. Okay, and mirroring, when you mirror someone, we're literally trying to imitate the behavior, both verbal and nonverbal, of the person who's right in front of us. Okay, and I'll tell you the best place to do this is in person. The second best place to do it is on Zoom and then a phone call, you know. But this is why it is so important to try and get face to face if you're having a serious conversation. Like if it's a serious conversation, man, I would always try to be face to face, belly to belly in person. If I can't get that, then I'm gonna go Zoom. If I can't get that, then I'm gonna go phone. But if you're trying to get someone to change their opinion, to be more in alignment with your opinion, I would not risk that just being an audio phone call. That makes sense? I wouldn't risk it. It's just, it's risky. You're, you're cutting a corner trying to just do it over the phone. Be insistent on face-to-face -face or a quick Zoom call. Even if you have to make something up that you need to show them, that you just can't tell them, do it. Like if you need to pull up some comps to show them some comps, do it. And then continue the rest of your conversation face-to-face -face on Zoom. Find a way to make it face-to-face because then you can just get a better idea of where they're coming from so you can mirror and match them, okay? Make sense? Yes, Angela. Would you do that for an initial call to your SOI? Like saying, hey, no. I just wanna let you know. Okay. No, I wouldn't do it as an initial call. This is really for negotiation. Uh, but initial call, you know, you could do any of the any of the hundred touches a year, you know, phone, text, mail, email, anything like that. I might do it for an annual review, for an annual property analysis or something like that. Then I try to get face to face. But again, I'm not necessarily negotiating. I do it for a listing appointment. I do it for a listing appointment, a buyer consultation appointment. I do it for an annual property analysis, anything like that. Where we're really having to go deep on a conversation. I would say one of those three would be the way I'd use it. That makes sense. Let me give you an example of extreme mirror and matching when, when, when it's most useful for you. Let's say you're in a heated debate with 
another agent that's a high, high D behavior. They're dominant, domineering. They steamroll you. They're angry. Maybe you didn't present their offer or they're mad that you're bothering them too much about your offer. You put it on their listing and you start getting in a fight about something. Hey, I'm not going to present it until tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And he starts steamrolling you. If you get angry back at someone, or let me put this to you this way. Let's say that you list a house. I'll give you a good hypothetical. Let's say you list a house and it's your seller. We'll make it your client. It goes up for sale. You warn them that it it's a high price and it may not appraise. And then sure enough, halfway through the transaction, the house, your, your seller's home does not appraise. The appraisal comes up $35,000 short. And you have to deliver that news to your seller. And that seller then gets angry in general. And just by default, he's getting mad at you because you're the one that brought the bad news. His home buying experience has not been good because he got this terrible news. So he screams at you. He starts yelling at you, I can't believe it. You know what I mean? Here we are, we put that thing out for sale. We got a willing buyer, it goes up for sale. And I get it now, now I gotta come out Now I gotta lose $35,000. No, they can come up and they can just pay the extra 35,000. Tell them that or we're going to put it back on the market. So what did they go by anyway? Didn't you give them the comps? Did you even meet them here? Did you give them comps? Did you show them out the other house? You show them the house over on Oak Drive? And he starts getting really mad. At that point in time, if you say to him, hey, relax, calm down, it'll be okay you realize you're doing the opposite of mirror and matching. This is someone who's really hot and angry and you're telling them to relax. Even though that's what they do in the movies, that's not the right way to handle someone who's mad. You're actually taking gasoline and throwing it on a fire because now he's gonna say, oh, what do you mean you're telling me to relax? You clearly don't understand why I'm mad. You're not validating me at all. You're just giving me more reason to show you why I'm mad. So I got to get even madder at you until you get it. So then he's going to come up an octave. No, why didn't you tell me this was going to happen? You shouldn't have priced this high to begin with. You know, blah, blah, blah. Like had I known so now I'm going to get even madder because you're actually telling me that I'm wrong for feeling angry about the appraisal. See what I'm saying? So now I have to, because you're not giving me any validation for feeling the way I do. So you need to actually prove to me that you understand me and that you get my emotion. Remember that? My emotion that you actually, like, especially if you label it, say, hey, I can understand why you're frustrated. I feel that. So I label your emotion. I let you know I get it. I actually put a name for it. You sound extremely upset and I don't blame you. I'd be upset too. So we actually isolate the feeling, label the emotion, say it back to them so they know we get it. We validate that emotion to them. Then they can calm down a bit. They've got their message across, right? So it might look something like this. <clears throat> Man, I get it. 
If I were you, I'd be frustrated too. I mean, I hear it in your voice. I mean, you're clearly angry and I'm angry too. I can't tell you how bad it is being a real estate agent having to tell terrible news. You get a willing buyer, willing seller, and then some random appraiser comes in who doesn't know anything about the neighborhood and appraises it too low. It bothers me like crazy too. I am sorry. I'm mad. Do you want to hear what I think we should do about it? See, I validated it. I actually got angry with them. Did you hear my voice? I got angry with him. I didn't get angry at him. That's a big difference. Don't get angry back at him. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> but I got angry with him at a neutral common enemy, the appraiser. And now he's going to calm down with me. Okay, so what do we do? Well, unfortunately, this happens a lot. It's not abnormal. It's no fun. If you remember, I even told you back when this will probably happen. This, this happens a lot. That the appraiser brings us back down. So it did, and we pushed it as close as we could. So my advice, rather than go back on the market and you know having to go through you know what is kind of a you know higher interest rates and dealing with all that buyer demand, is let's suggest meeting the buyer halfway on that price, get it done, put it to bed, get you moved in 45 days. How's that sound? But I got him calmed down to listen to me first. I didn't just go into that solution without first validating his emotion and mirroring it back at him. Then he realizes I gets his frustration. Now he's ready to listen. Don't skip that step. Go through that little theater. That's why we do the needs analysis like we discussed. But we also have to not only understand their emotion is we've got to actually then incorporate into our own verbal and nonverbal communication and mirror it back at them. Make sense? Back in 2007 and 2008, I mean, that, you know, you didn't have a problem with housing inventory. That's for sure. There was housing inventory all over the place. But we had different problems. You had to deliver bad news all the time. Like you go into a listing appointment and they'd say, yeah, we were thinking we can sell our house for $750,000. And your response was, whew. It's been a really rough past couple of years. $750,000 might have worked in 2005 or six, but now we're probably looking at 600,000. And then all of a sudden their jaws dropped. You just saw the divorce between the husband and wife happen right at the table in front of you. The kids weren't going to college anymore. All that, your voice got somber. You mirrored and matched that way. I am so sorry to tell you this, but there's no way that home's gonna appraise for any more than that, not in this market. So you mirror and match a different way depending on the responses you have to give to different people. And you know, that's why they pay us the big bucks. You're in real estate. You're not supposed to always people please, guys. You're gonna have to deliver bad news. Just like doctors, I mean, they have successful careers and they have big houses and fancy cars, but sometimes they have to tell people they have cancer. You get paid for your ability to have big, tough conversations. Now I can tell you those conversations are a lot easier if you match the emotion of what you see in front of you. Okay. So you will have to match in different ways. So let's talk about a few different ways we can match emotion. Okay. I'm going to show you a few right now. Okay, the first one I want to show you is we're going to match through physiology. 
You're gonna love this stuff. This stuff's so cool. Okay, so this again, this is why we gotta be face to face. Okay, so much of everything is is nonverbal. I can't tell you whether someone will like you or not is very rarely based upon the words you use. The majority of your likability actually comes from non-verbal conversation. The way you sit, the face gestures you give, the way you respond to their talking, all of that, even with your verbal communication, the, the tone of your voice, just not your words, the way you speak, how fast you speak, all of that determines your likability. And the first thing is physiology. We want to we want to actually try to speak to them in a way that they speak to you with their body. So if they lean forward, you lean forward. If they cross their legs, you cross your legs. If they slowly drink water, you slowly drink water. If they talk with their hands, you talk with your hands. Okay? That's physiology. Why do we do that? Let me explain it to you. If you're sitting forward, and they're leaning way back. That's because they're trying to get the hell away from you. You're in their space. Okay? If they're leaning back, you lean back. If they're forward, then you need to get forward with them too. Because you're going to appear lazy when they're the eager ones to learn and they want to engage in the relationship. I'm not one of those people. I'm not a forward guy. I like to lean back. I like distance. But again, I'm trying to accommodate my audience. So I'm going to do whatever the heck they need me to do. If they're forward, I'm forward because I want to appear just as engaged and just as interested as they are. If they're very interested, I don't want to appear like I could care less and I'm way back here and I'm trying to disengage. Does that make sense? So we all, and the same thing, if you're sitting in chairs, you're sitting at a table, if they're on the table with their elbows, you get up on that table with that elbow, elbows. It'll make them feel more comfortable about their own posture if you're mimicking it too. <clears throat> but if you're doing the opposite of them, they get less comfortable. They get insecure. Make sense? So your job is to try to make them feel comfortable in their natural habitat as much as possible. If you go into a listing appointment and they offer you some hors d'oeuvres they made for you, if they are slowly eating the hors d'oeuvres, you slowly eat them with you. I don't care if you're hungry or not. Match them. They may be starving. You're the one that had to set an appointment after they get home from work. Your fault. So they're probably starving. And if you don't let them eat by eating with them, making them feel comfortable to them for eat too, they're going to try to get you out of the house so they can eat because they're getting cranky and hangry. So you let them make them feel comfortable doing what they need to do to feel most comfortable. Same with drinking water. You drink slowly with them. You watch their pace and you drink with them. Does that make sense? All of those little things matter because it all makes them feel comfortable to do what they naturally want to do. And if they can do what they naturally want to do, they will stay in the conversation longer. The longer they stay in the conversation, the more likely you have a chance to come out with an amicable solution. But the minute they say, I got to be done, let me think about it, your chances dwindle tremendously. 
right? I don't know if I'm going to sign that listing agreement. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you. The minute you leave the room, your chances go down tremendously. Who knows why they felt uncomfortable and needed you out? Was it because you didn't let them eat? Makes sense? So we mirror and match. The biggest one is talking with your hands. Okay? The biggest one is talking with your hands. All right? So you're going to see certain outgoing people are going to talk with their hands a lot. Okay, if the other side is not talking with their hands, which is usually a shy, calm, reserved person, then you need to try to sit on your hands <laughs> and don't talk with them. It's the same thing as sitting back and sitting forward. If you're all up in their business, you'll see them start to get distracted by all your excitement. If they talk with their hands, it's okay for you to talk with their hands. And then it'll, it'll be exciting for them. It'll be engaging for them. If they're all over the place. But if they're not all over the place and they want to focus, then you allow them to focus and put your hands down. Make sense? Very important. You try to accommodate. And I know this is, I'm telling you to, to act a way that's not natural for you. Yes, that's correct. I don't want you giving a presentation in English to a bunch of Spanish speakers. A bunch of Spanish speakers are not going to feel comfortable adjusting the language they speak to hear you. Your job is to speak to them. So you need to adjust the language you speak so they can hear you. If you're the one trying to persuade, if you're the one trying to educate, if you're the one that's trying to meet the needs of your audience, you adjust your communication style to enable them to hear you better because you're the one with the burden of communication. So to do that, you adjust all these things to make them more comfortable so they can hear you more clearly. Physiology is one of those things. So as you're having conversations with people on these things, I want you to think about all of these aspects. How is your physiology? Next up, I want you to look at your rate of speech right here, speech rate. In general, speak at the same speed they do. Don't be speaking in fifth gear when they are back in first gear. Understand that D&I behaviors, the more social, fast-moving behaviors, speak a lot more quickly than reserved people that have the S and C behaviors on the DISC assessment, okay? So this is a big one, guys. This is probably the most important thing for mirror and matching. It's the hardest thing. This takes skill, okay? Because if you're a slow speaker naturally and you're a very calm person, it's very hard for you to pick up the pace and speak at a fast pace. And if you don't do that with someone who talks like me, I have a very, very hard time slowing down for you. Because if you want to talk to Brian Eisner, his natural state, there's few people on this that have heard me talk. This is how I like to talk all the time. I have to slow everything I down. My brain moves real quick and my voice and my talk and my speech and all that moves very, very quickly. I like to speak at that pace, but I can't do that. I have to purposely slow it down so people can digest what I say. Makes sense? So it's hard to slow down. It's even harder to speed up. It's even harder to speed up, but you've got to try. I can tell you to slow down. The key 
is to put pauses in between different words in a sentence. But watch the feeling I give you when I do it too much. It's because now I'm speaking slower than you're even comfortable with. And it makes you want to jump out of a window. That's what happens when someone is not mirror and matching you. You feel uncomfortable. You stop even listening to what I'm talking about. You start looking at other things on your computer screen. You're not even engaged anymore. That's what happens when someone breaks rapport, guys. So if you're talking too slow, that's what you do to me. Or if you're talking too fast, it's the same thing. It's like, I've lost, I've got a friend that does this. He who would not be named, but he speaks way too fast for me. It's exhausting to keep up. I just completely disengage because I can't, it's too tiring. So you gotta watch you don't do that. Really try to mimic their patient. Like if they're talking slow, slow it down with them. Put the gaps in there. Because I guarantee you, if they're that slow to you, you're that fast to them. And they're going to think you're just a slick talking salesman that's just trying to sell them some tonic oil right here in River City. Like that's what's happening. Like, oh, I'm not just a salesman. I'm not going to listen to him. He's got no credibility. That's what happens if you talk too fast. They think you're just selling them something. You're just a mouth, a salesman. So whatever you do, don't talk too fast. If you talk too slow, you're freaking boring. You're in. You're intolerable. So don't talk too slow. Watch their pace and their tempo. If they're in fifth gear, get up close to at least third gear. If they're down in second gear, get down to third or fourth. Get close. Because you can tolerate each other and you can stay engaged if you're close. But make sure you talk at their rate. Practice that with everybody. When you're buying groceries at the grocery store, practice their tempo. Practice their mannerisms. Practice everything we're going to talk about here. Because when you start doing that, you'll start to see you'll get better response and more engagement from whoever you're talking to. Okay, next thing we're going to talk about for mirror and matching, we're going to talk about the volume. Speak as loud or as quietly as they do. If you match their volume, you will slowly bring them to a normal volume. This is true. Soft speakers become more comfortable and begin to speak up if you bring them up with you. Loudspeakers begin to relax and soften their voice if you bring them down with you. So when you get someone who's really quiet, you kind of get in there and you talk quietly too. And then slowly you'll both be talking quietly. And then the next thing you know, you'll be talking normally because they get more comfortable. A loudspeaker, you get up there and you talk loud too. And you engage with them and then you slowly bring them back to normal and they will come to normal. That will happen. Some people are just naturally a little louder or naturally a little quieter and that's fine. But make sure you go get them. Don't let them stay out there loud and stay you in quiet. That'll make them feel uncomfortable. They'll start to be self-conscious. And when people get self-conscious, they get new feelings. New feelings you don't have time to keep chasing down and labeling. So what will end up happening is they'll start saying things just to justify the way they're acting. 
they start saying stupid things like this. Well, I'm one of those guys that speaks what he means and says and wears it on his sleeves. I, I'm a sh straight shooter. They start justifying their own crazy behavior. And you get way off, way off report. We're not even talking about a solution anymore. We're just defending our own ridiculous behavior. Go out there and get them. Speak as loud or as quiet as they do and watch how slowly they'll naturally come right back to a normal tone of voice or volume of voice, right? Okay, next up, I wanna talk about tonality and pitch. Tonality and pitch. Make your voice sound like their voice. And this is where, when we talked about labeling their emotion and the needs analysis, this is where we go next level with it, right? This is where we actually show them we understand their emotion, okay? We show them that. So if they are acting angry, we kind of get an angry voice. You know what? You're right. I am upset about that, right? If they're sad, that's when you show it. You say, you know what? I'm sorry. It does hurt, you know? And you actually, you show them that you understand. You don't just tell them you understand. If you show them that you're excited for them when they're excited, or that you're stressed out for them when they're stressed out or that you're happy or angry or whatever, you don't have to tell them. Because if you say you understand and they don't believe you, they'll say, how could you understand? You're not the one going through this. You haven't truly validated them unless you prove it to them. And the way you prove it to them is you show them through your tonality and pitch in your voice that you understand how they're feeling because you're feeling it too. This is that next level, you know, next level Jedi stuff. If you just say, hey, man, relax, calm down. I understand why you're angry. <laughs> okay, have fun with that. I wouldn't say that to me when I'm angry. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, I don't believe you. I'm going to show you angry. <laughs> next level angry. But if you tell me you're angry with me and you prove it because you actually have that tonality that you're upset and you get it, and you're upset for me. Now I don't need to show you anymore and I'm going to calm right down. Make sense? That's dealing with an emotional person. Okay. Same with even foreign accents, guys. This is a very delicate one. But if you get someone in a foreign accent, you know, and you speak the Queen's English and they speak a little broken English, don't feel bad about speaking some broken English. It'll make them feel comfortable. Like whatever you do, don't correct someone's English, right? Like if they're using conjunctions poorly and things like that, don't say, yes, I understand. I can tell you're feeling, if they say, yeah, I feel pretty good about that. And you say, yeah, well, I can imagine you'd feel well. Don't correct them. Don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Speak their language. If, their language, if they don't speak the Queen's English perfectly, then don't speak it with them. Make them feel comfortable with the way they are communicating. You're trying to adjust. Remember, you're changing a Spanish message or an English message to a Spanish message if you got a Spanish speaker. We want to change to their language any way we can. So if we have to speak a little bit of broken English, we speak a little bit of broken English to match it. Match their level of grammar. Match their level of syntax. Don't get too fancy or don't get too casual for your client. Stay where they are. Speak their language and they'll feel comfortable. Okay? I mean, even if someone's got like a high-pitched, high squeaky Barbie voice, you know, if they got something like that, get up there with them. Talk like this. Say, yeah, I totally get what you're talking about. I mean, I can't get very high and I can't very get very squeaky, but I can try to get up there a little bit. And believe it or not, it works. It makes people feel more comfortable, even if they've lived with that crazy voice their whole life. If they have a deep, low voice, I can't get down there very well either. 
but I'll but I'll talk, you know, I'll talk a little bit deeper, a little bit more solemn, and I'll drop down to a voice like this and try to make them feel a little bit more comfortable and not so different and not so far off. So I'm gonna always try to go where they are, as close to them to make them feel more comfortable. I'm gonna speak their language. And that doesn't sound, I don't sound all that so ridiculous. Makes sense? I'm always a common, that's customer service at the highest level, guys. Where I'm actually accommodating all my communication styles just to match the needs of my client. Is there ever been a better level of customer service? Now I'm talking about opponents too, when I negotiate, right? Oftentimes I'm trying to get, if I'm trying to get someone to see my point of view that might be different than their preconceived point of view going into the conversation, I'm gonna do everything I can, plow out all the stops to make them feel as comfortable with me as possible. So it's that much easier for them to change their mind and agree with me. That's pulling out all the stops. Okay. Now let me show you my favorite one. And it really is my favorite one. And it's called keyword backtracking, keyword or key phrase backtracking. And basically you use their favorite words by actively restating what they say back to them. So basically it's a way of communicating and validating back to them that you understand their needs, right? So here's an example. If they constantly say that they don't need to sell because you're negotiating with a seller and, the, and you're talking about pricing, they're like, well, we don't need to sell it. I mean, I don't want to give it away. Um, I don't need to sell. I don't need to sell. That doesn't really mean anything, but we hear that all the time. You can then validate that by a few times in the preceding or the subsequent dialogue stating, hey, I understand you don't need to sell. And it's a good thing that you don't need to sell because we can be patient with getting the staging done and the photographer, the photography done, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we actually validate that we hear it. So that, that all of a sudden they know they've gotten that excuse of cross and they don't, they don't lean on that crutch anymore. If that makes sense. So we say it back a few times to let them know we heard them, even though we may or may not have any intention of dealing with it or adjusting our approach or our state of mind or anything, we just say it back at them to get them that we heard it. Right. And you'll, you'll see this before, like you'll get someone in your house or looking through a house and say, I like the energy in here, or man, I really like the dialogue. You know, when you get people talking like that, you, I know it sounds kind of like selling out, but trust me, validate that you hear them. So yeah, hey, I'm happy to hear you like the energy. That's really important. I can tell that's important to you too. So that's awesome. You know, or they say it feels good. This house really feels good. It feels like a family home or this home feels cold and dark. Start using, now you know how they look at homes. So you say that type of language back. Yeah, I, I think it, this is not manipulating. It's speaking their language, guys. It's customer service. That's how they want you to talk. That's their set of values, not yours. They're the ones making the decision. So communicate the way they want to be communicated too. So you say, how does this feel to you? What do you think of this house? How does this feel? How does that room make you feel? I get that. 
See what I'm saying? So I'm speaking their language. I'm communicating to them in the language they want. If they start saying things is like, hey, I really want to make sure I have control over that. I really, you know, you start saying, hey, I want to make sure you're in total control. I want to make sure you see this from end to end and that you have a say so throughout the entire process. So it always circles back and comes back to you. So you get your arms around it. And that's what you, when someone says they want a lot of control, that's what we say. You see what I'm saying? So you, you keep, you, you listen to those key words that they use that define the way they like to communicate and what their needs are. And then you try to weave them back into all of your dialogue and questions to confirm to them that you've heard them. If you do that, they will gravitate to your side. You will be that person they clicked with. And this happens all the time. Like you'll see like someone want to list their house and they treat every appointment with every agent that's interviewing for the job as like a, a negotiation. But yet somehow they click with one of the agents and no one really knows why. This is why. Skills training is why. Now, what do all the other agents that don't get picked say? He cut his commission because it's an easier way than admitting that someone has a higher skill set than you. But oftentimes it's because they clicked with the seller. And oftentimes it's because of a bunch of nonverbal things like this that made them click. A bunch of skill set that just made them think, hey, this guy's listening to me. This person actually cares about my needs. They're not arguing all my needs. They got it. They understood it. It's high level skills for negotiating, for sales, which to me are one of the same, for representation, for customer service. The more we can actually show them that we're listening and understanding, the more you're going to convert, negotiate solutions, close transactions, all of the above. But we have to adapt ourselves and, and, and actually get more into a submissive mentality where we're coming from curiosity so we can learn and actively listen. And then by what we learn from actively listening, we modify our behavior to mirror theirs. And then they just gradually get on our side. We don't get authoritative and just verbally tell our point of view to win the argument in some sort of like five-year-old debate. You play a patience game and you win. Think about an FBI invest or negotiator in a major movie. They are not hasty. The hero negotiator is always the one that's urging more patience in the movie. It's the moron negotiator that's like, tell him to come out or we're going in guns a blazes. That's always the bad guy in the movie. The good guy in the movies, stressing patience and trying to work it out, listening, getting to know, thinking. That's the good guy. That's the hero of the movie. So you want to be that. Okay. So with that said, we got some time here. Any other questions that we're throwing out there? Oh yeah, I'm gonna put that slide up there, sorry. That was all just one slide, by the way. I'm gonna throw it in there right now. For all of you, that was just one piece of paper. I just was kind of sliding down that piece of paper. Brian, I do. Yes, ma'am. If you're, once you're done with your- 
I'm done. Transferring. Okay. Um, so as far as um, mirroring, um, I'm, I feel that I'm supersonic in doing that. I understand people's, uh, how they are at the table and talking. And I feel that I do very well, knock on wood, um, with making them feel comfortable. Um, what about when, what are your suggestions as to when they're holding their hands tight or they're just being very adamant or argumentative and I'm not winning it. I, I just. Right. On those type of scenarios, we're actually deep into an argument. We have to be. We got to get out of the argument. So then we got to get back into curiosity. At that point in time, we got to go back in their motivation. So we, we we bail out and say things like, you know what? Let's take a step back here. What, you know, let, let's get back into why we're looking to move in the first place. What are all the reasons you want to move? So I'm going to get back into listening curiosity mode. I, I got to bring their motivation up again. Because right now, if they're clenched up and they're saying no, no to everything, there was a time before you got in front of them, they wanted to take action and move forward, whether it's buy, sell, whatever it is. At that point in time, they were motivated. Right now, they're actually seeing all the tough activities they have to do to get where they want to go. So they're putting up all their objections like, oh, no, but it hurts. You know, it's like, hey, I want to get better, but I don't want to take the medicine. Or I want to get in shape, but I don't want to wake up and go to the gym in the morning. It's the same idea. I, they, they, they can't make themselves have the discipline to go through the tough steps. And if you're trying to get them over that and the path you're taking them through has got them clenching up and tightening up and fighting you, then we got to go back and re-tap into that motivation to get them to remember and bring to the forefront of their brain and their memory why they want to do this in the first place so they get that courage and excitement up to move forward again. And hopefully by them talking a lot and talking about their motivation, it starts to loosen them up. You know, not always, but that's the best thing you can do is tap back into it to get them re-motivated. Because we haven't done a deep enough, if, if they're fighting you, if they said they want to move forward and they're fighting you on the how we're moving forward, they're not motivated enough. So we got to do a deeper needs analysis. We got to go backwards and dig deeper into the why. We got to label that emotion better. We got to find out why they wanted to move, what that does for them, how that'll make them feel, all of that kind of stuff. Because they, you may think you've got it, but they don't got it. Make sense? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Trainer Podcast, sponsored by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. For more information about real estate coaching or to watch Brian's training videos, check out therealestatetrainer.com or find us on social media. And remember, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're available.